What's up, everybody? How you doing this morning? It is so good to see you again. Good Lord. I feel like I've been gone for 20 years. The reality is I was gone for three Sundays. The other Sundays I was here, but we had guest speakers or, you know, Edder was speaking for a youth Sunday. And man, I, we've had some amazing messages this summer, I have to tell you. Everything from Pastor Edder to Pastor Lenny to Pastor Scott to uh, Pastor Allie last weekend. Come on, somebody. You know, Nathan Finocchio in here, it was, it was so amazing, but it feels like I've been gone for like 20 years. And uh, I got to tell you, this is where my heart is. I love Richmond. I didn't used to love Richmond, but I love Richmond. You know, you think you, you travel to all these cool cities and you think that it's going to make you not like your city. No, I fall more in love with our city every time I'm somewhere else. I go, we live in a great place, and the work that God's called us to as a church in Richmond is, like, this is where he has us laboring, and so this is where my heart is, this is where my passion is, this is, so it's so good to be home, you guys are amazing, you look good, you look rested, you look like you've been on vacation, and we're going into school starts tomorrow, somebody. Tomorrow, school starts, and I'm sending my kids, and Kenzie and I are just going to party at home all day, <laughs> take off from work, and just run around the house and be alone without the kids for, you know, for 24 hours or, or whatever. They're not at school that long, but <laughs> we might forget to pick them up. So, uh, so school starts tomorrow, and that's amazing. I want to tell you a little bit about some of the stuff that happened while I was gone. Is that cool? Is that, is that cool? Um, first of all, I went uh, in July, I went to a friend's church, Alex Sagat, who's an amazing friend, Alex and Diana. They're amazing. They were here last October. You can watch their message on our YouTube channel. They're amazing, amazing leaders, and they're building an amazing church in Miami, Florida called Calvary. And this church is, I don't know, 1,500 people, three services. It's incredible. It's amazing. It is like 98% Latino. And we had so much fun. We had so much fun. They were, they were loud and funny, and they kept shoving food in our face every time we would turn anywhere, and they were, they were hugging us and kissing us all over the place, and we were, just, we were just like, this is so amazing. That church was the friendliest, most welcoming church. They were so full of life and energy and passion. Their worship was just incredible. It's like, what an amazing church, but I thought this was really fun. I spoke at their church, and they do... Spanish translation, okay? And so on their YouTube channel, the next day, they posted this video, and I thought this was pretty funny. So watch this. Qué bueno ver este programa. Okay, muy bien, ya paremos el video. Eh, eh, yo creo que eso te alegra el día, de alguna forma u otra, viendo como otras personas se caen al agua, ¿verdad? Bueno, la vida muchas veces es como American Ninja Warrior. ¿Qué, ¿A qué me refiero a eso? It's pretty awesome. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. So that was amazing, and uh, that was pretty fun. And then, and then a couple weeks later, I went and I spoke at a church in San Francisco, which was incredible. This church is called City Life Church. John John Wilkins, maybe some of you will remember John John Wilkins. He's amazing. He's incredible. We're going to have him come back here in the future. And it was a great time. He is a very prophetic individual, and so you spend any time around him, it's like he's eavesdropping on your life. And he's telling you, hey, you know, uh, I, won't, I won't say what he said to Chase, but Chase was there with me on this trip, and he turns and he's like, Chase, and he starts reading Chase's mail, and Chase is just like, uh, yes? It was amazing. So just that, that atmosphere of the prophetic and worship their church, I love this, their church is literally in an old warehouse that used to be a porn studio. And so downstairs where the kids' ministry is, before there used to be like cages and whips and all kinds of stuff, they gutted all that out and they put kids' ministry there. So this place used to be like used for the work of the devil on earth. 
And now it's used for the work of God in San Francisco. So cool. Their church is just kicking butt. It's amazing. It's awesome. It, it really was encouraging. While we were there, we met up. I, uh, I brought um, some of the guys who were working on the kids show with us. We met up with a friend at Pixar. This guy's name is Matthew Lunn. We didn't get to go in here. So, okay, this, is, this photo is deceptive. <laughs> we took a picture out here, and then we went to Matthew Lunn's house, okay? <laughs> and we sat at Matthew Lunn's house, and we worked on the kids show together. And the show has changed so much for the better. And when we gave him this new idea, just kind of like the, the idea we've been working on, he goes, this is incredible. He said, this is amazing. This is going to be awesome. I'm so excited to see what you guys do with this show. And so we had a great time there. That was really amazing and fulfilling. And, and I can't wait to see what God does with that. So that was San Francisco. And then last weekend, I was in Germany. Many of you know that my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And the day that I heard that she was diagnosed with cancer, I booked a plane ticket and I, and I was like, babe, I'm going, over to, I'm going over to Germany and I'm gonna love on her and stir her faith. Um, she is my favorite family member that's not my wife or my kids. Okay, sorry, dad, sorry, mom, sorry, Lindsay, sorry. I love my grandma. She taught me how to pray. She taught me how to walk in faith. She taught me how to listen to God and be in relationship with God. I love my grandma so much. I often think of the verse where Paul says to Timothy, um, that faith that was in your grandmother and your mother is now in you. And when I think of my grandma, I, I, I'm thankful for generational faith. I'm thankful that the, my faith doesn't actually even begin with me. It begins with a praying grandmother who prayed for her kids and her family to serve God all the days of their life. And I thank God that when she gets to heaven, she's not gonna stop praying for us. She's not gonna stop praying for Life Co. She's not gonna stop praying for the work that God's doing in us. She's gonna be face to face with Jesus and she's gonna be saying, Lord, help them. He needs help. And so I'm so thankful for my grandmother. Many of you have asked, how is she doing physically? The cancer's all throughout her body. Physically, she's not doing great. Spiritually, her spirit and her soul are stronger than ever. And she is, I mean, she is walking in miracles and in faith and she's believing. She's not sitting around feeling sorry for herself. She's, she's moving, she's praying, she's leading people to Jesus. They, they literally, um, their neighbors and everyone, she's like, I'm, if I'm going to heaven, I'm taking everyone with me. If I'm going to heaven, I'm taking everyone with me. And she's not giving up, she's believing, she's trusting. But, but I, I said, Grandma, I'm praying for your healing. And she said, that's good, but my primary prayer is not for healing. My primary prayer is that I would finish all the work God has for me on this earth. Absolutely amazing. And so she's, that's, she's on mission. So we had a great time. We ate amazing German food. And then I spoke at the church that they started years and years ago that now is led by um, pastors Philip and Janine. Their church is called Cardia Church. They, um, they, Cardia is the Greek word for heart. Their church is big on love for people and love for God. And so Cardia Church now meets in an old movie theater. Now get this, um, San Francisco, old porn studio converted. Uh, this building was one of Hitler's meeting places that now is used for church. I love that Christians don't cancel things, we baptize things. I love that. I love that. I love that we don't go, oh, you can't go into that building. We just go, oh, it just needs a baptism. It just needs to be baptized. And so I love that so much. So this church is kicking butt. They're amazing. I showed you me speaking in Spanish. Now I got to show you this translation. Okay, watch this. Watch this. We need Jesus. We need the word of God. We need good works. And we need worship. And if we have these four things in our life, you can conquer any trial that you're facing. How cool is that? So cool. So what a great time. You know how people pray when you travel? They pray for traveling mercies. I've always wondered what that means. What is a traveling mercy? God, I, I pray for traveling mercies. My favorite is when people pray for a hedge of protection. 
I'm like, if this plane goes down, what the heck is a bush gonna do? <laughs> yeah, just give me a nice hedge of protection. <laughs> Lord, this plane is going down. I need more than just a bush. Help me. I need like a pilot who knows what he's doing. And you're praying for bushes in my life. Like, oh man. But uh, Traveling Mercies, I want to show you a picture of what Traveling Mercies looks like. This is my economy flight seat to San Francisco, where the seat in front of me was completely removed, and I had all that leg room. And I want to show you more Traveling Mercies. This was my economy flight seat to Germany. Nine hours. I was flying first class in economy. Come on. So good. That's what Traveling Mercies looks like. Next time you travel, you ask somebody, you ask the prayer team, pray for traveling mercies so I can get that leg room. Come on. Uh, <laughs> it's so, 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 so good to be home. I love being with you guys. I love being like this place is incredible. And I thought it would be unfair. I've been preaching this message everywhere I've gone now. I've preached it in Miami, preached it in San Francisco, preached it in Germany. I thought I should preach it here this morning. I haven't preached it to you. I should preach it to you. And I'm going to preach it a little bit different than I preached it at these other places, but it's right in line with this freedom stuff. In fact, I want to call this message a cheat code for life, a cheat code for life. And what I want to do this morning is I want to give you the cheat code for life. What do you mean cheat code? We'll get into it here in just a second. Let's pray. Is that good? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're speaking to us and through us. God, I thank you for this church. I'm so thankful for this group of people, for this body of believers, for the city you've called us to, for the region you've called us to. God, I thank you for this family that we are, this army that we are. Help us to reach Richmond. God, help us today to hear your word and not just hear it, but be doers of your word. Help it to change us and transform us. And God, if anybody is traveling in the next couple of days or weeks, I pray a hedge of protection around them in Jesus name. Amen. 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 You got that hedge of protection. Okay. Um, it did, has anyone here when you were growing up, have you ever played the game, the Sims, the Sims, anybody have like an addiction to this game when you were growing up? Does anyone know what The Sims is? Okay, because you guys are being real quiet. When I was a kid, this game came out, and I was obsessed with The Sims. If you don't know anything about The Sims, you get on the computer, and you build this, like, dream life. You build a house. You put furniture in it. You have neighbors who come over. They get mad at you. You got to work out your relationship with your neighbors. You know, the, the little characters, you give them names, and then you try to get married, and you give your spouse names. And when I was a kid, I always named my wife Stacy, Lacey, Tracy, or Casey. <laughs> I don't know why. But I was always like, my wife one day is going to be Stacy, Tracy, Casey, or Lacey. And that was like my thing. There was going to be that. And then I married Mackenzie. <laughs> but I would always get on and I would, I would play this game and I would play and play and play. But I would get so frustrated because in this game, if you don't have patience, you can't do anything. This game takes patience. I want to build an addition to my house. Well, sorry, you don't have the money. Right? I want, to, I want to put furniture in my house. Well, sorry, you don't have the money. And for me, the joy of the game was just the building of the house and the decorating of the house and doing all that stuff. That's what I loved to do. I did not want to do all the stuff where you had to like take care of things and go to work and do all that. I didn't want to do any of that. I just wanted to like build the house. I just wanted to do the thing, right? And so uh, there is a cheat code in this game. There are cheat codes in a lot of games. If you don't know what a cheat code is, maybe on Nintendo, you, you're playing a game and you, you realize that on that game, if you hit up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right, A, A, B, B, right? If you put in a certain code, it unlocks features of the game. It's a cheat code. Jasmine knows what I'm talking about. If you put in the cheat code, it gives you special abilities. It gives you special powers. It gives you unlimited lives. It gives you extra, you know, unlimited ammo, unlimited money, unlimited lives. Come on, the cheat code is like, as a kid, there are the people who want to 
do the hard work to beat the game. That was my friend Greg McClellan, okay? He would, he would, he would try so hard to collect every coin and every, you know, every little thing that you could get in the game, and he would do it the hard way. And I would do the cheat code. I'm just going to do the cheat code. The cheat code works magic. Well, in The Sims, there's this cheat code called Rosebud, okay? If anyone in here has played The Sims, you type in Rosebud, and then you do colon, semicolon, over and over and over, and every time you do colon, semicolon, you get an extra, like, $1,000 in your bank account. So I'd make my character, and I'd make my wife, Stacy, Lacey, Tracy, or Casey, and then I would type in immediately, Rosebud, colon, semicolon, colon, semicolon, colon, semicolon, over and over and over and over until I was a trillionaire. And then I would play The Sims. And it was the best thing ever. So amazing. And you know, sometimes The, the Sims, the whole thing about The Sims is that The Sims is a real life game, right? Where you're escaping from your real reality to go pay bills in a fake reality. That's what The Sims is. I hate my life so much that I'm going to go pay bills in a fake life. <laughs> That's what The Sims is. And people go onto The Sims and they play this alternate reality. But you know, The Sims is a game about what real life is like. I don't know about you, but real life for me is hard. It is hard. I don't know if you're here today and you're like having the time of your life. You're like, life is great. The, the reality is most of you are here and you're like, life sucks right now. My life is tough right now. My life is hard right now. I got this challenge I'm facing. I got this deal, this thing that's in front of me. I've got this boss that's really difficult. Recession, recession, recession. It's coming. No, it's not. Yes, it is. It's like everywhere you look, it's just life is tough. Come on, anyone relate to what I'm saying this morning? And I've said this so many times here before, but the Bible promises us that life is going to be tough. He says, in this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. But he says, in this life, you will have many troubles. A lot of people think that when I become a Christian, it's just smooth sailing. God's going to touch me. He's going to bless me. My life's going to be amazing. He's going he's to, you know, bless my finances and my marriage and all that. It's going to be totally perfect. And the reality is that life is tough. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. And so what I do is I go, God, I need a cheat code for life. I need a cheat code. I'm too impatient to try to do this on my own. I'm too proud to try to do this on my own. Legit. Uh, there's sometimes where I'm like, I'm trying so hard and it's not working. And my own pride goes, man, Kyle, you are not good. <laughs> you are not good at this. You are not good at that. And then you get humbled and you go, God, I need some help. I need, I need some help. I, I can't do this on my own. I don't want to do this on my own. And my good news that I have for you today is I found a cheat code for life that is hidden in this verse in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, I want to read this verse to you this morning. Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 19 through 25. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and foolish assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Now this passage is a cheat code for life. Kyle, what do you mean it's a cheat code for life? Well, first of all, in the original language, in the Greek language, when he wrote this passage, what's crazy about this passage is it is one giant run-on sentence. There is no comma. There is no period. This whole thing is one sentence in the original language. I went to school with, like, with grammar police people. You're not allowed to do that. That's called a run-on sentence. You are not allowed to do that. I would, I would write a paper for my English class, and 
Miss Kennedy would slide back my paper and say, you need to make shorter sentences. Your sentences are too long. But the writer of scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote a passage with no periods, no commas, no punctuation. This entire thing is one big, long sentence. So this, this is a, what I would say is a cheat code for life. And every little part of this, you can't just do part of it. You have to do all of it or the cheat code does not work. You can't just say, uh, you can't just say okay, uh, by the blood of Jesus, um, you know, he opened the door, period. Nope, keep going. There's more that God wants to do. There's more for this verse. There's more. There's a response that God gets from us. God did all the initial work, but now there's a response from us. And if we'll respond a certain way, God wants to bring something to completion in our life. This whole passage is one big, long sentence. Up, up, down, down, left, left, right, right, A, A, B, B, rosebud, colon, semicolon, colon, semicolon. You have to put all of it in or the cheat code does not work. So I want to break down this cheat code. And what I want to tell you today is you can't do part of it without having all of it. Okay? There's four parts to this cheat code. Part number one is this beginning right here. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a, sure, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is part one of the cheat code. And if you notice, this entire part is all about Jesus. You will never succeed at life. You will never fulfill your dreams. You will never reach your potential if Jesus is not part one of the cheat code of your life. You will never do it. That's why I, I, I don't do motivational speaking from this stage where I get up and I tell you, live your dreams, fulfill your dreams. Do that. I don't do that. Without Jesus, it's impossible. Without Jesus, you can, you can succeed, you can achieve, but you will not be fulfilled. Without Jesus, you might be able to accomplish, but you won't be accomplished. Without Jesus, you might be able to get, you know, I got the job or I got the paycheck, but there will always be an emptiness inside of you looking for more, hungry for more. There will always be a dirtiness to you. You will always feel unclean. You will always feel like your conscience betrays you. Without Jesus, you do not have a clean conscience. You do not have a pure mind. You do not, your life isn't sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus. Without Jesus, you cannot succeed at this life. As hard as life is, as tough as life is, you will never make it through if Jesus is not part one of the cheat code of your life. Well, Kyle, you literally, you, you're telling me, dude, that you went to Miami and San Francisco and Germany and told people, point number one, Jesus? Like, that's a church, Kyle. Like, give them some more meat. They already know Jesus. So many times, though, Jesus becomes not the central thing. He's just kind of there. He's just kind of like peripheral. And yeah, I went to Miami, San Francisco, Germany, and now Richmond to tell you that if Jesus is not the beginning, the end all and be all, if he's not the focus of your life, if he's not the center of your life, if his work doesn't begin in your life and, and is completed in your life, you will not succeed at life. You won't make it through. You won't survive. You won't get out unscathed, you know, without Jesus. The Bible says, in this life, you will have many troubles, but take heart, for I, Jesus, have overcome the world. So all the troubles and trials and tribulations, without Jesus, it's impossible. But with Jesus, man, he has already overcome the world. And so the first part of this cheat code is Jesus. I want to tell you here today, maybe you came in and you're, and you're, you're overwhelmed. You got a bill you can't pay. You got a marriage that is like, man, I don't know what to do here. You got all these issues. I want to tell you today, start with Jesus. Start with Jesus. He's the cheat code of life. Start with Jesus. 
After you have Jesus in your life, after you've received Jesus in your life, now we go to the rest of this cheat code, okay? Let's, let's go to part two here um, in this verse. This verse, Hebrews 10, uh, 19 through 22 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... Oh, go to the next, the next verse. Hebrews 10 and verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If part one is Jesus, part two is what I would, I would call it word. I would call it the word of God. Why, why am I calling it the word of God? He says this. He says, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. What is the confession? Um, confession in the original language is this word homologia. And what does it mean? It means to admit, to confess, or to say out loud, to agree. To agree, to admit, or to confess. So what is the confession of our hope? Well, confession is when we use with our words, we agree with truth. When we say, I now, I'm going to say it out loud, I agree with truth. What does that look like? I'll give you an example in my house, okay? Um, Kenzie and I walk downstairs, and there are stickers all over the house. And we say, story, scout, which one of you just put stickers all over our house? And Story goes, it wasn't me. And Scout goes, it wasn't me. One of them is not confessing. Because there's a truth that they're not admitting to. There's a truth that they're not agreeing with. So then we do the interrogation. The interrogation begins. And we sit them down on the bench and we say, which one of you just put stickers all over my house? And Story is, is pointing at Scout, and she's going, it's not me. And Scout's like, doo, 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 doo. you know, like, I don't know what you're talking about. And at some point, we finally get a confession out of Scout, right? She, she confesses, man, she's a liar. Scout lies. Story, story lies sparingly and very smart. Scout just lies all day. Just all day long. All day long. <laughs> story is like Kenzie and Scout is like me. When I was a kid, I got in trouble for lying all the time for stupid stuff. And Scout is exactly the same way. And so Scout, just she tells these little lies and she does all this stuff. And, but when she finally admits, what is she doing? She's confessing. Her words are now finally coming into alignment with truth. She is now agreeing with the truth, right? Well, there are some truths in scripture that when it says we hold fast to the confession of our hope, I wanna tell you this, it's the confession of our hope. In other words, you don't have a truth and I have a truth. We just agree with the same truth. Well, Kyle, what about like, what about, what about you know, uh, opinions and all that stuff? Yeah, that's an opinion. One of my favorite lines in Inside Out is when they mix the boxes and he goes, and you're trying to put them back in the boxes, and they go, these facts and opinions look so similar. Where do I put them? I love that line, because in our life, facts and opinions, they look so similar. Perspectives and facts, they look so similar. But truth is outside of us. We conform to truth. In fact, the Bible says, not that we will be set free from truth, but we will be set free by truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth is not oppressive. It is not harmful. The truth doesn't hurt you. It might hurt to admit it sometimes, but the truth sets you free. We're talking about freedom all the summer. You cannot walk in freedom if you are not confessing truth. If your words and your life are not coming into alignment and agreeing with the truth of God, you will never walk in freedom. Because the word of God and truth are going to set you free. Peter was the first one to make the ultimate confession. In Matthew, uh, I believe it's 16, it says this. He says, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon the rock of the confession that Jesus 
is the son of the living God. Upon that rock, the church is built. That is the pillar of truth that the church is built on. That is the foundation of truth that the church is built on. And so we need this in our life. It's part of the cheat code of our life. Romans says, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. In other words, Jesus is Lord is a truth that if you and I don't agree with it, our life is in shambles. So we confess Jesus is Lord. And then he says this, the first creed is in Corinthians. The first creed, uh, arguably, that was ever written is 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. One of the first creeds that the church ever, creed is a, a confession, one of the first creeds that the church ever put into documents and, and spoke was this right here, that Christ died in accordance to the scriptures. In other words, if I don't have the word of God in my life, if, if the truth of Jesus is not in my life, if I'm not confessing his word, if I'm not speaking his word, if I'm not coming to, into agreement with his word, I'm failing the cheat code. I gotta have Jesus and I gotta have his words. We, we try to separate Jesus and his words a lot of times. And we have to have both. Jesus is truth. His words are truth. All right, here's part, two, here's part three of the cheat code. We need Jesus. We need his words. And here's part three in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is the third part of the cheat code. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I just spent a week with my grandma and my granddad, and it was so funny to watch how they interact because they, they serve each other, they care for each other, and they also nag each other. <laughs> and I love it. And, and I love it. So, so, you know, my granddad's sitting at the table. He's got a real calm personality. And my grandma's like, Watson, we need to do this, 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 this. And then he's like, you're right, Erica. And then she's like, Watson, you need to do this, 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 this. And he's like, you're right, Erica. And he's like, Watson, you need to do this, 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 this. And I just watch her say it over and over again. And I watch him just sit there over and over again. And I go, I love this. This is what we're all going to look like when we're 80 years old, right? In every marriage, there's somebody who's got some requests, and they make their requests known over and over and over. It's not always the wife. Sometimes it's the husband. But somebody is a little more naggy than the other, okay? And this verse, when it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, the author is using a negative connotation word to mean something positive. He's literally saying, let us consider how to nag, annoy, irritate one another to love and good works. He's saying, let us consider, stir up is not like a, you know, we, we, we tend to think of stir up like it's like this like super amazing spiritual experience. We're stirring up one another. We're just, we're just in the room and we're just like, I'm praying and you're praying and we're just stirring up our faith. Okay, we're just stirring up each other to love and good works. The, the word that he uses here is nag them, annoy them, get on their nerves. This, this is what the Bible means when it says iron sharpens iron. That's friction. It's friction. A knife doesn't get sharper without friction. You don't do loving good works without some friction in your life. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Part three of the cheat code is I would, I would, I would say works. I would say we need the word of God and we need works in our life. Now, don't misunderstand me here. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by works. But we are saved for works. After we have Jesus and the word of God in our life, God does good things in and through our life. You know, there's these people who like when, when they all want to like just, I just want to be raptured. I watch the Left Behind movies and they're amazing and I just want to be raptured. You know, and there's the people who are like all into rapture theology and all this stuff. And, you know, it's, you're just like, you're like, 
if I'm not raptured, I really pray that my pilot is not a Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, if I'm not going to be raptured, I really pray that the pilot is not saved. Because if he's raptured and I'm not raptured, right? Um, We have this like rapture theology where people are just going to like poof and their clothes are going to fall to the ground and they're just gone. And this theology, this rapture theology, really, it did not even exist until the 1950s. Legit. It didn't even really exist until the 1950s. Now, we are going to be caught up in the sky, the Bible says. Jesus is going to come back in a glorious, but you're not going to like miss it, okay? When Jesus comes back, you're not going to be like, oh, that was it? I missed it? <laughs> it's like the sky is going to be split apart. And Jesus is going to be like, it's going to be obvious. It's not going to be like, oh. Mom? <laughs> Where are you? She was cooking my dinner, and now she's gone. <laughs> okay, so people who are obsessed with this rapture theology and end times theology, oh, we're coming to the end, right? It's the end, and, and the end times theology, like, it's awesome. I love the book of Revelation. I love, I, I love it, okay? Um, but people who are obsessed with this kind of stuff, they, I don't even know where I was going with this. <laughs> now would be a good time to have notes. Oh, yeah, they don't want to work. Thank you. They don't want to work. They just want to be raptured. Rapture me, Lord. They just want to be raptured. They don't want to work. They, don't, they, they just want to be gone. They just poof. I became a Christian, and I want the rapture to happen now. Now that I have come to Christ, I want Jesus to return. All of heaven was waiting on my salvation before the rapture. And all the young unmarried Christians are like, please, God, let me get married before you rapture me. You know, and, and all the, but everyone else is like, no, I just came to Christ. And now it's the end times. I love, it's like, it's, 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 it's like, it's, I hate to say it. I'm so sorry. But especially older people, they're obsessed with the rapture. Because they got like a colonoscopy next week. And they're like, you know, Jesus is coming back anytime now. And young people are like, I'd like to go to Disney World next week before he comes back. <laughs> the older we get and like the blood moons and the elections and the, you know, all this stuff, like, oh, this is all going to happen. It gets worse and worse as we get older. We get more and more obsessed with like, Jesus coming back, Jesus coming back, Jesus coming back. You know what? Here's what's good about that. It's good that our anticipation for heaven grows as we age. That's good. I'm looking at a, at a grandmother um, who is sober-minded about what could happen with her health. But she's not, like, miserable. She's not, like, upset. She's not, she's expectant for what heaven's going to be. But here's what she says, and this is what I love. She's not trying to escape this life. She's saying, I want to finish my work that God has for me. And all these people who are obsessed with like rapture, get me out of here, you know, it's all, it's all over, it's all done, it's all done. A lot of those people are not very good at doing good works. And here's what I mean by that. They're constantly in their little closet talking about like, tomorrow I'm leaving, tomorrow I'm leaving. If you really want to know about end times, you know what Jesus says? He says, when he comes back, what are you gonna be doing when I come back? What are you gonna be doing when I come back? Are you doing good works? Like a thief in the night, Right? He's going he's gonna to return. And when he returns, what are you going to be doing? Are you just going to be sitting in your room studying the, the rapture? And it's like, I got it wrong. You know? Or are you going to be out doing good works? Are you going to be out serving? Are you going to be out blessing? Now, I want to tell you this. What you need when life gets hard is not someone who's going to tell you you're going to make it. What you need when life gets hard is you need someone to tell you, do some good works. 
do some good. I'll never forget, I had, I had the flu when I was in Bible school. Um, I was like 19 years old, got the flu. I'm, I'm like, I'm miserable. And my buddy, um, he was a football player and a little Hispanic dude, I loved him. He was so cool. And he was like, he was like my mom always taught me that when you're sick, you bundle up in a bunch of clothes and you go for a run. I was like, I don't know what you guys do in Mexico, but here, we just die. <laughs> I have the flu, I'm dead, you know? And this kid is wrapping up in clothes and going for a run. And I was like, okay, and he's like, come on, get up, put on some clothes. And I was like, okay. I'm, I'm like putting on a thing, he's like, no, another layer. And I'm like, okay, I'm putting on, okay, another layer. I'm like, it's 100 degrees outside. He's like, put on another layer. Put on layers, and then he's like, come on, we're going for a run. And he pulled up next to me, and he went for a run with me. And literally, like, I felt like I sweat out every single virus cell in my body. And I came back, and I was like, I feel really good. And he was like, yeah, it works. I was like, okay, this is crazy. Then I started working out with Edder. Edder's like, I feel a little sick. I'm like, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm going to go in the sauna, and then I'm going to come out, and I'm going to bench press more than I've ever bench pressed in my life. I'm like, Okay. And then the next day, he comes into work, and he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'm like, what? What you need when you're down, what you need when you're out, what you need when you're weak is not someone to say, just sit down and rest. Listen, this sounds bizarre, because we do need to rest, okay? I'm not saying don't rest, but sometimes we can rest in our misery, and we can settle in our misery and we can just sit down and just accept defeat in our life. Or we can be like Erica Klutz and we can get everyone in our hospital ward saved. She, you ask her a question about her health, she'll answer it in one sentence and then she'll spend 10 sentences talking about the work that God has her doing. She's not, she's not, she's not ignoring the, the reality. She's just, she, that's not where my focus is. My focus is love and good works. Love and good works. I'm gonna serve, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna bless. If you're tired today, if you're worn out today, you don't need to take a weekend off. You need to sign up, you need to serve, you need to be a part, you need to stuff the backpacks, you need to give them out to 100 people, right? That, we just did that this, this last week, unbelievable. Our church, what was it, 110 backpacks that we gave out? You need to come in, you need to do some love and good works. Why? Because get this, the Bible says when we do good works, it's not us doing it, but it's God who wills it and does it in our life. Read this second verse, this second verse here. Um, I can't remember what the reference is. Um, yes, I love this, Philippians 2.13. The one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Whenever you do good in your life, the one who both brings the desire and the effort in your life is God. You want more God in your life? Do some good works. Why? Because he's gonna bring the, he's gonna bring the desire and he's gonna bring the effort in your life. You wanna grow in Christ-likeness? Do some good works. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, okay? All right, here's the last one here today. The last part of this cheat code is at the end of this verse, let's, let's read this right here. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not neglecting to meet together. Don't neglect the gathering. Cheat code, part four of this cheat code is I would call worship. I would call worship, okay? Together, worshiping together. We kind of live in this generation where everyone's like, I am the church. You know what I'm talking about? These are people like, I don't need to go to church because I am the church. You know those people, right? I had this very interesting thing that I saw a couple weeks ago when, when Roe versus Wade was overturned. Um, here's what happened. All those same people who are like, I don't need to go to church because I am the church. Then on Instagram and Facebook, they were saying, the church isn't doing enough for women. I'm going, bro, I thought you were the church. Five seconds ago, you were saying that I don't need to go to church because I am the church. And now when it comes to doing love and good works, you're saying the church isn't doing enough. 
for this person or that person. So the same people who are obsessed with like, I am the church, I don't need to go to church, I don't need to, essentially you know what it is, they're neglecting their responsibility. They're neglecting their responsibility. When you come to worship, I, listen, there are people who say, well, I hear from God better when I'm out on a mountain. When I'm out on a hike, I hear God better. That's awesome. You have six days of the week that you can go hike and talk to God. You don't come into church on Sunday morning primarily for you. You come into church on Sunday morning primarily because you are the body of Christ. You are the temple of Christ. And if you don't come together, where's God going to dwell? If you don't come together to worship, where's God's presence going to be poured out? You're not coming to church so that the presence can fall just on you. You're coming to church because the person next to you might need the presence of God in their life. 1 Corinthians 3 says, don't you know that you, collective, collective you are the body of Christ. You are the temple, sorry, of God. 1 Corinthians 3, you are the temple of God. The Bible says you are the body of Christ. Jesus says where two or more are gathered, there I am in the middle. So you might say, well, you know, I don't need to be at church because I am the church. Wherever I am, God is there. Well, Jesus tends to prefer gatherings. He tends to prefer, he says, where two or more are gathered. The Bible says one can put a thousand to flight, two, ten thousand. I wonder what an army full of people at a church could put to flight if we all gather together and pray together. The reality is that you're praying six days a week for your son. You're praying six days a week for your daughter. You're praying six days a week for that thing that's going on in your life. But when we come together, there's an added blessing because God commands a blessing where there is unity. So when we come together, so, so we need Jesus. We need the word of God. We need to do some love and good works. We cannot neglect the gathering, the worship. Now, there's two ways to neglect something, okay? The first way that you neglect it is just by not showing up, okay? I, I would call this attendance neglect. You just don't show up. I've made this statement several times, but, you know, there's a lot of us who uh, we just kind of think of church attendance as just like, you know, well, oh yeah, it would be nice to go to church this weekend. It would be nice to go to church this weekend. No, don't neglect the gathering. Don't neglect coming together. Don't neglect joining. When Kenzie and I are on vacation, when we're away, we find a church to go to. Like literally we're on vacation and we're finding a church to go to. Why? Because I can't neglect the gathering. I can't neglect it. I have to be with other believers. Why? Because I have a responsibility a responsibility to, to worship God, to encourage one another, to build one another up. I have a responsibility. I'm not going to miss it. I'm not going to neglect the gathering. We can neglect the gathering through attendance, but we can also neglect the gathering through not giving something the proper love and desire that it requires. Now, if I have a car and um, my car requires oil changes and I just don't change the oil, What's going to happen to that car? It's not going to run very long, right? That's neglecting the car. If I have a child and I don't pay attention to my child, I don't feed my child, I don't take care of my child, that is child neglect. When he says here, don't neglect the gathering, it's not just about being in the room. It's about the spirit and the attitude with which we are in the room. If you don't believe me, Nathan said this verse a couple weeks ago. I've been preaching it all summer long. It's such a good verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, when you gather, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. He's talking to the church in Corinth, and he's saying, guys, when you guys get together, this isn't for the better, it's for the worse. He's saying, some of you guys are just taking communion while others aren't even present yet. Some of you are getting drunk while others don't have wine for communion. Some, there are factions among you. There's rich and poor. There's, you know, in our context, there's rich and poor, white and black. You know, uh, there's, there's Democrats and Republicans. There's, there's factions among you in the church. He's saying, when you gather, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. Because even though you're physically in the same place, you're spiritually disconnected. And so neglecting the gathering is not just about showing up, but it's about how we show up. Neglecting the gathering is not just, you know, I can neglect the gathering by being here, but not caring about, you know, that person that I haven't seen in six weeks. 
Am I pulling out my phone saying, bro, where are you? We need you in the house of God. If you're not here, a part of the body is missing. That's, that's part of not neglecting the gathering. It's not just about me showing up and then going to first watch and then playing golf the rest of the day. It's about what happens here is holy. What happens here is special. What happens here is anointed. What happens here is God changes lives here. And so I'm not going to show up and just get my little Jesus snack and go home. I'm going to make sure that everyone around me, that we're moving together, that we're worshiping together, that, that where there are relational breakdowns, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to erase those. Where there are factions, where there are different you know, minority groups over here, and we're going to push them over here. And that's, No, we're going we're gonna to come together as a church, right? That's part of neglecting the gathering. So this cheat code right here, we need Jesus. We need his word. We need love and good works, and we need the gathering, the worship, the coming together. If you have Jesus, the word of God, love and good works, and the gathering, the worship, the coming together and worshiping together, you will succeed at life. You will succeed. When you trip, when you're, when I don't know what to do, I'm feeling so down, I'm so out. If you don't neglect the gathering, if you don't neglect God's word, if you're leaning into love and good works, if you're trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone to be your salvation and your redemption and your forgiveness, I'm telling you, you will make it through any trial, any tribulation, any issue that you're facing. With Jesus, word, works, and worship. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. God, we thank you for, first and foremost, we thank you for Jesus. It is by Jesus and Jesus alone that we are saved. It's by Jesus and nothing else. Jesus and nothing else that we are saved. We thank you for that first part of this cheat code this morning that you did the, the hard stuff. You did the hard work. Now, God, we thank you for the part that we play, that we confess truth, we confess the word of God, that we stir one another up to love and good works, and that we don't neglect the gathering, the worship, the community of worship. God, we thank you for those three things, and we thank you that if we as a church lean into this, that no matter what we're facing, no matter what trial, no matter what issue, you're going to get us through every single one of them. We thank you for it today. I pray you would encourage some people here today who are down and out. I pray you would lift their head. I pray that they would see that Jesus is large and in charge in their life and they're going to make it and they're going to thrive. I thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name, come on. Everybody said amen. amen.